preached in a while. I hope I remember how to do this, and uh, you can pray for me. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your holy written word. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light to our pathway. We choose to hide it in our hearts that we will not sin against you. We thank you, Lord. The entrance of your word gives light. And so we believe you for light, for insight, for understanding into the truths of the spiritual dimension, that we will know you better when we leave here, that we will be encouraged when we leave to be doers of the word. And we thank you, Father God, for utterance in the Holy Ghost today in Jesus' name. Lord, you know where every person is in their life right now, what they're facing, what they're doing, you know, the good parts and the bad parts and everything in between. Lord, we believe you to meet needs here today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. This series of messages is going to take us through at least four major spiritual laws in the kingdom. These are the most basic and, I believe, the most powerful uh, of, the, of the laws of the kingdom. And they include, number one, the law of love, so named in James chapter 2 and verse 8 as the royal law. It is a spiritual law. Number two, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That is Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. And then also number three, the law of faith. That's Romans 3.27. That's where you see that phrase. And then the fourth one is the law that Brother Jason mentioned earlier, the law of sowing and reaping. And of course, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. He read it for us today. Whatsoever a man sows that shall he also reap. Now when I'm talking about these laws, I'm not talking about ordinances like he mentioned before. I'm not talking about the laws that are made by man to govern how slow you have to go on the highway or the laws that are made by man to tell you, you know, how much taxes you have to pay. We know that those are laws but they're natural laws. They're subject to change. They can be amended or they can be uh, set aside by men as, as they would choose. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about law in the sense that it is a statement of fact of what happens when particular conditions are present. Now, there are natural laws. We call them laws of nature. And then there, of course, are spiritual laws. And one of the characteristics that makes a law a law is that it works. And this is one of the most important things you're going to get out of this message today because if you apply what you're going to hear in the next few Sundays with this point now, it can and will, if you will allow it, change your life. One characteristic that makes a law a real law is the fact that it works, number one, for everybody. Regardless of your age, regardless of your race, regardless of your financial condition, regardless of who you are, your pedigree, who your parents were. A law works for everybody. And a law works, number two, everywhere. You know, we think about even the natural law of gravity. If we had some way to bring a thousand people across the roof of this building and they jumped right over there off, do you know that a thousand out of a thousand would go down? There would be no exceptions. Even the most lightweight of us would still end up on the ground because gravity is a law. 
Now, if we did that same exercise in South America, in Australia, in China, in Europe, uh, in Africa, wherever we did it, it would still work the same way. That's why it's a law. It works for everybody, everywhere, and it works all the time. You know, you can't cheat gravity on Sundays. Amen. Now, I know, I know that uh, there are situations where certain physical natural laws are superseded. For instance, when you go over here and you get on a plane and you fly, well, bless our hearts out of Lynchburg, the only place you can go is Atlanta or, uh, or um, Charlotte, or I don't know if there's someplace else, maybe there is, but anyhow, uh, let's say you, uh, you, know, you fly from uh, Lynchburg to Atlanta. Uh, do you realize that gravity did not go away? It may look like you're cheating it. It may look like that you're not bound by it. But all you're doing is using other natural laws to supersede temporarily the law of gravity. You're using the thrust of the engines of the plane and the law of lift that has to do with the, the shape of the wings and the way they're positioned and the way they, they uh, handle the air that they go through. And you're just setting aside for a few moments the law of gravity. If you don't believe the law of gravity is still there, just kill the engines. And you'll find out the law of gravity is very much still working. Now, the law of gravity, as I say, works for everybody. Uh, and those of us who are older finds out it really is working. And it may seem like that younger folks are exempt from the law of gravity in some ways, but they're not. Just let them live long enough. It's working on us, whether we feel it or not. And that's the way that real laws are. They work for everybody, they work everywhere, and they work all the time. Water always boils at 212 degrees. There are laws of thermodynamics. There are laws of mathematics. And there are other constants in our world that are recognized and respected by intelligent people, and they have been for a long, long time. So let's think for a minute about the consistency of natural laws, just like we were describing a while ago, and then remember where all those came from. There is a creator. So it was God who instituted all natural laws, and if those are constant, so much so that we have to actually order our lives around them, then why would we think that the spiritual laws behind all those would be any less constant? Now, I know I'm belaboring this point, but this will absolutely change the way you pray. It will change the way you live your life. It'll change your giving. It'll change the way you treat people. If you understand that these spiritual laws are actually more powerful than natural laws such as gravity and so forth, then you will begin to understand and realize that if I can learn how these work, and if I can put these to work in my favor, if I can cooperate with these natural law, uh, with these spiritual laws rather, then I can have more of the goodness of God manifested in my life. So the Creator, God, that's where these things come from. And these spiritual laws, actually, and this is really exciting. These spiritual laws, which, by the way, we have access to because we're spirit beings. We have access to because, particularly, we're born-again spirit beings. And particularly, particularly, because we're born-again Holy Ghost-filled spiritual beings. And particularly, 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 maybe another one, I don't know. We, uh, I think that was enough. We are 
spirit beings who are born again and filled with the Holy Ghost and we have the Word of God that we can put into our mouths and speak and release into our situations and into the world we live in. And because of that, it's good to understand that spiritual laws can supersede natural laws. Spiritual laws can absolutely set aside and change natural circumstances that even natural laws may produce. And so we're going to look at these four spiritual laws and we're going to study them because these are eternal, meaning they are not bound by time. Eternity is not just a long time. Eternity is no time. Eternity is no time all the time, every time, any time. We can't really get our mind around it. In heaven, it never gets old. Nobody ever grows old. You know, when you see me with hair and no wrinkles, you're going to really be impressed. <laughs> it, nobody gets old in heaven. If you, if you were to go to heaven right now and ask somebody, what time is it? Nobody would have on a watch. They'd say, it's now. What time is it going to be? Now, the spiritual dimension is now. That's why the word says, now faith is. It's never past tense. It's always now. If you're always putting off to the future, that decision or your blessing or the receiving of whatever God's word has promised, then you're not in faith. Faith is now. It's mine. I have it now. This is God's word to me now. This is God speaking to me right now. It is, when I open my Bible, it's just as if God and I are having this one-to-one -one conversation and he just now is saying this to me. You say, well, is that really so? Well, Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. What does that mean, they are spirit? They are eternal. They're outside of time. And these spiritual laws go beyond the boundaries of space and natural circumstances. And so that's why we would say that the law of love, the law of life, the law of faith, and the law of sowing and reaping, is not, they are not natural. They are supernatural. And those supernatural laws work for everybody. That includes you. They work everywhere that includes here and where you live and where you work and anywhere you'll ever go. And they work all the time. You'll never find a time if it's 3.30 in the morning or if it's 5 o'clock in the evening or 8 a.m. You'll never find a time that these laws won't work and you'll never find a time they actually aren't working. So that means that all four of these laws have the power to produce change in the natural temporal world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How do I look not at what I see, Paul? Why did you write that? Because he's talking about looking with the eye of our spirit nature 
beyond what we see in the natural because everything you see in the natural is subject to change. Everything in this natural world is eventually going to be burned up. Global warming 2.0. I mean, it's going to dissolve. This building will be no more. The floor we're on will be no more. The clothes we're wearing, no more. We'll even get a new body. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. Now, I know that's future, and that's out there, and we're not in that realm at this moment, but I just want you to realize that God's plan is not to leave things the way they are. Isn't that good news? And God actually loves you so much that he won't leave you the way you are. He'll keep nudging. He'll keep prodding. He'll keep speaking. He'll keep leading. He'll keep putting you in positions where you need to make decisions, and he keeps leading you to make the right ones. He loves us too much to leave us the way he finds us. Praise the Lord. And so the things that are not seen are the eternal things. So that means the law of love, the law of life, the law of faith, the law of sowing and reaping. Those laws as, as concepts and as realities, we don't actually maybe see them naturally, but we see the results of them because they are constant. They are always there. These four laws, to understand them and operate in them, these four laws are necessary to get God's good and perfect gifts, James 1.17, from heaven to earth. These four laws are essential to learn. They're essential to know. They're essential to use. If we're going to touch and interact on an ongoing basis with the spiritual dimension. And if we're going to interact with God in particular. You know, knowing God and having a relationship with God changes everything in our lives. It is the in game, if you will. The, it is, it's the, the most powerful thing in the world is to be so connected to God that there's nothing in the natural world that can't be fixed by His power, nothing that can't be changed or altered to make His Word come to pass. And that's where God wants every one of us to live. People use the phrase, under the circumstances. You really ought to get that out of your vocabulary because none of us are called to live under the circumstances. We're called to dominate circumstances, to control circumstances. I, I can't do that for everybody. I can't do that for everything in all the world. But I can do that for me. I can do that in my life. I can control the atmosphere of my home. I can control my response and my reaction in my relationships. I can control the words of my mouth. I can control whether or not I'm walking in the Spirit. And therefore, I can control the world I'm living in. So we need to learn about these things. So we're going to look into the Word in this series to see what God wants to teach us about these laws. Now the first one, and, and don't get nervous because I won't finish this one today so you don't have to get concerned. Uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew 22. And, and one reason I wanted to say that is because when we read this, you're going to see two major aspects to the law of love that we want to talk about. And we can't cover both of them today, but we'll, we'll get there. Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 35. Now, the law of love is the basis for all other laws. It is the why God does what he does. God never does anything apart from or outside of love. And by the way, anything apart from love and outside of love is sin. This one is the highest of all laws. 
Now, if you're a financial need today, or you, you really desire, you need, or just desire a great financial change in your life, you may be more inclined to think, well, I really want to hear about the law of sowing and reaping. And we'll get there, but I want you to know that this law is more important. You might be thinking about the law of faith. Oh, if I only had faith, I know it could move mountains, and I know faith will overcome every, anything and everything in the world and so forth. But this law is more important. This law is the royal law. It is the granddaddy, if you will, of all of them. Matthew 20, uh, 30, I'm sorry, 22, verse 35. I'll get it out. Matthew 22, verse 35. It says, Then one of them which was a lawyer asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master or teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. So in other words, all that you are and all that you have. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now we understand that when this was spoken, Israel was still living under the Mosaic law. There was no new and living way yet. Jesus hadn't died. He hadn't resurrected. The church had not yet been born. People were being saved. People were being preserved, if you will. People were being forgiven as they lived for Jesus. And uh, even though they didn't know who Jesus was at the moment, hardly. But the fact is they were seeking God, living for God. And uh, so they were doing their best to keep commandments. Well, you know as well as I do that nobody was ever made righteous by keeping commandments. The law was perfect, and that which is perfect never has to be altered. So somebody might ask the question, well, do we still live under commandments? Well, let me ask you the question, would it be a sin for you to kill, kill anybody? Would it be a sin for you to steal? Would it be a sin for you to bear false witness against them, tell a lie on them or to them? See, we have to understand that in this transition period that we read about in the Gospels from the Old Testament to the New Testament, Jesus is getting the, the people ready for a new and living way. And with the new and living way will come a basis for keeping all moral laws. Like thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. Those are moral laws. In the process of doing that, thank you, I was going to, thinking I was going to have to do that, but thank you. Uh, uh, in the basis, in the process of doing all of that, Jesus kind of boils this whole thing down to love. The royal law. In the New Testament, James 2.8, that's not Old Testament. There's the phrase, the royal law. In Romans 3.27, the law of faith. So we need to have a proper outlook of what law is. 
Now, we're, we're not doing the ceremonial law of Moses under the Old Testament. We're not bringing blood sacrifices in here today. And we're worshiping on the first day of the week because that was the Christian custom. And uh, God has always welcomed worship any day as far as that goes. And somebody said, well, what about the Sabbath? You know, people have argued about that forever. And I don't want to argue with anybody about that. But I can just tell you this. I don't think that it's a day. I don't think we're watching the clock or the calendar so much as the fact is you need rest on a regular basis. If it's Tuesday, you need rest. And on that time of rest, in that time of rest, you need to seek God. Present yourself before God. Well, the early church and, and on down to the present day, we've been doing that on this day. We're giving God the first part of the first day of our week when we come to the house of the Lord. And we honor God with our praises, our worship, our attention to His Word, and with the first fruits of all of our increase. Praise the Lord. So, so Jesus boils down the law, if you will, to saying that, there, that it all comes down to love. First of all, it's loving God. And secondly, it's loving people. You see, if I love you with the love of the Lord, I'm not going to steal your stuff. If I love you with the love of the Lord, I'm not going to have an affair with your wife. If I love you with the love of the Lord, I'm not going to lie about you or lie to you. If I love you with the love of the Lord, I'm not going to covet after your stuff, and I'm not going to steal anything that's yours. So you see, the moral statutes that make a believer a believer really haven't changed. They really haven't changed. And this whole aspect of love comes down to the fact that there is a way to manifest our love for God, and there's a way that we manifest our love for people. Let's go now to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. We're going to look at uh, a verse there that will help us. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5. I'm in no hurry about it. Um, if we have to be here till Thanksgiving, that'll be good. If I can get this love message over to Glenna, I will have really, really accomplished something. Praise the Lord. Pray for when it goes well with you. Amen. Now, Glenn is a lovely person, a loving person. She's put up with me for a long time. That shows you how much love she has. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 says, Now the end of the commandment, the end of the commandment is charity, or that word is love. The Greek word is agape, which, by the way, is one of a number of Greek words translated love. And there are others that have to do with different kinds of love, whether it's friendship, whether it's uh, uh, physical love between a man and his wife, or whether it's, uh, you know, the brotherly love, whatever. You know, uh, this word is different than all of those. It is agape, is the Greek word. A-G-A-P-E, it pronounced agape. And it means the God kind of love. This is spiritual love. This transcends all natural forces. This transcends all the emotional realm that we live in. It is the love of the Lord. And, um, of course, we understand that, that this is the love that God not only has, but according to 1 John 4 and verse 8, is 
it is the love that God is. See, God doesn't just have love. God is love. He doesn't just use love. He is love. Nowhere does the Bible say God is faith. As important as faith is. We know you can't even please God without faith. We know that we're saved by grace through faith. So faith is certainly important. But the Bible never says God is faith. The Bible says God is love in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. Now in 1 Timothy 1 and 5 it says, Now the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned or faith that is genuine, not pretense. <coughs> and then of course in James chapter 2 and verse number 8, love is called the royal love, or the royal law, if you will. So this love is the essence of God's character. Love is a spiritual force. This love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It will affect your feelings. It will affect your emotions. It will certainly have an effect on your outlook. But it's not emotional in and of itself. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. This is a spiritual force. And to describe this kind of love, the best description I can give you today is that this love is doing what is best for others, even at my expense. That's what this love is. This is how God operates. For God so loved that he what? He gave. So that's the nature of love. God operates in this love and expects us to as well. As a matter of fact, he don't just suggest it, he requires it. So if I'm going to walk in love, then I need to know how do I love God, and I need to know how it is that I'm supposed to love those that I live with and interact with here on the earth. And if I'm supposed to do this, how do I do it? If if, uh, if this is a, a spiritual force, then do I have it? Do I have enough of it? How's this going to work? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, you really didn't ask, but maybe you did uh, inside. Galatians chapter 5. Let's go there. Galatians 5. Now, this is, a, this is somewhat of a, a study together, so we'll take our time. And these verses are just too important to not get them... Uh, grounded in our spirit and in our minds, our thinking. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, now that's the, the fruit of the recreated, born again, human spirit indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is talking about fruit that, that is born in the life of a Christian. An unbeliever doesn't have these things. Now, the unbeliever has poor substitutes in many cases, or none at all. The, the, the believer in many cases has um, uh, 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 only a natural version or a mental version, but not really a true spiritual version of these things. And the first one on the list is what? Love. The first one on the list, there's nine, there are nine on this list, and the first one is love. So if you're born again, say that's me, if you are born again, you have love inside you. You might not feel like it. You may not have acted like it, even this morning. I don't know. 
Sometimes people have fights before they come to church. Sometimes people have quarrels on the way to church. Sometimes you may have to stop and spank somebody on the way to church. But that can be done in love. At least that's what our parents told us. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but you, you, you might not feel like it, but if you're born again, love is on the inside. Another proof text is Romans chapter 5. Let's go back to there. Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 5. It says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is, notice, not going to be, not might be, or sometimes it is, but it says the love of God is. Every time you read this, this is God talking to you and saying the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Again, notice, it's a fruit of the Spirit indwelling us. So when God moved in, love moved in. When God came into your heart, love came into your heart. And as with most all spiritual things, we have to work to renew our minds about what to do with this spiritual force that we didn't have before, that we didn't walk in before. We didn't know anything much about it, perhaps, before. And maybe in some cases had seen very little of it demonstrated before. So here I am, born again. I'm right before God. And according to the Word, the Holy Ghost put love inside of me how does that work? How does that work? Now, if I have love, that means I can manifest it. You know, I got a $20 bill in my pocket here. Just a little raggedy $20 bill. The reason I can manifest this is because I have it. Let's say I give it. I'm going to give this to Rebecca. Go buy your hamburger. That's about all you're going to get for 20 bucks. Now, you know, I can't manifest a $20 bill now. I can manif manifest a chapstick, but not a $20 bill. Praise the Lord. Jason wasn't going to come over and get that, I know. You can only manifest what you have. And if you have love, it can be manifested, which means you can if you will. This thing, I just can't love them. I can't, I can't go there. I, I'm working through it. All that is a bunch of psycho babble. You've watched too many Oprah, Dr. Phil programs. And <laughs> if you're born again, you have love. And if you will, if you choose... You can manifest love. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go and mop their floor every week and pay their rent from now on. That doesn't mean you have to let just anybody and everybody into your house. I'm not talking about becoming a doormat for users, abusers, and I'm not talking about you becoming an enabler for the addict and the pervert and everybody else. I'm talking about doing what's best for people, which sometimes is saying no which sometimes says, not anymore, which sometimes says, not here. It ain't happening. But you're doing what's best based on two things, 
You're manifesting love in order to uh, uh, love God and please Him and receive all He has for you and then loving people so that you do what's best for them. Now, obviously, the first area that we must look at is how do I love God? It's easy to love a little baby. It's easy to love a little, uh, you know, a little grandkid that says something cute and funny. I mean, Glenn and I, we've had grandchildren for so long. We've been grandparents since 1995. And so we still, you know, uh, almost 30 years later, we still sometimes will mention something that our oldest little grandson would say because he lived with us for a while and the way he would say things real cute and then other grandkids along the way. And sometimes, you know, we get mixed up and decide who said that. I have to tell Glenna, well, that was the other one. That, you know, <laughs> grandmothers, they just see them all as one, you know. Uh, but anyway, it's easy to love. You know, it's easy to love sweet people. You know, some people are just sweet. I wish I was sweeter. And I guess according to my notes, I can if I will. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> But it's easy to love sweet people. It's easy to love people that are very nice to you and very generous to you and, and uh, that are complimentary and that don't say hurtful and bad things. But it's not always easy to love people that are unlovely. People that lie about you and lie to you or lie on you and people that take advantage of you. And you know, you know, you never see them except they want something. It becomes more difficult to love under those circumstances. And so how do we manifest love? Well, loving people, that's, that's the second portion that we won't get to today. But I would say that you will not get to all those places I just mentioned of loving the, the people that are hard to love unless you master loving God. It's not a feeling. I can't touch Him physically. And I know we use certain terminology like, you know, he holds us in his arms and he comforts us and all of that. And, and that's fine. I understand that. Yes. And I've experienced that. Thank God. But love is not a feeling. So how do I love God? Let's go to the book of St. John, chapter 14. And how many believe that Jesus was spiritual? How many believe that he knew what he was talking about? And how many of you believe that he would know something about loving the Father, loving God. Well, here's what he said in John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Verse 23. If a man love me, I'm reading the part there in red. If a man love me, he will keep my words. Notice verse 21, he used the term commandments. In verse 23, he uses the, the word words. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Verse 24, he that loveth me not, how would I know that? Keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, 
but the Father's which sent me. So the same Jesus said that the first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Says that the way you love him is by keeping his word. Go over to chapter 15, look at verse number 10. Actually, I'll start with verse 9. It says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. You see, it's not possible to have fullness of joy if you're not walking in love. And according to Jesus' words, taking what he said here recorded by John, and what he said recorded by Matthew in chapter 22, then we realize that the only way to love God is to obey Him. And our obedience to Him guarantees that His joy not only remains in us, and remember Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. That the only way to walk in joy and strength in God is to walk in love toward God. So our love is, for God is measured and manifested by one thing and one thing only, our obedience to Him. We only love God to the degree that we obey Him. You don't love Him anymore. I don't love Him anymore than the degree that I am willing to obey Him. And as we've already pointed out about love, this is going to require a choice on my part. This is going to require me from time to time to go against my feelings. This is going to require me from time to time to do things that I really don't want to do. Walking in love, however, is doing what love does. You see, it's important to understand it's not just doing something good or something nice when you feel like it. It is making a decision to, and, a, and an act of your will to do what love does. And when you do what love does, you get what love produces. That's the good side. That's the wonderful part about it. I can do what love does even if I don't really feel like it. Even if I think I, at the moment I might not want to. If I will do what love does, I will get what love gets. It's a spiritual law. It works for everybody. It works everywhere. It works all the time. We could say it this way, in every circumstance or situation. So in the case of loving God, it's simple obedience to what he says. Whether it is a statement in the written word that tells us how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do, and I'm going to put a parenthesis in here for just a moment, and get off onto a different trail for a moment, but I need to address this as a pastor, it's necessary. And that is for the last 10, 15 years in the body of Christ, there has been a wave of teaching that is false, that I think sometimes well-meaning people have fallen into. You know, not everybody that says something squirrely 
is necessarily an evil person. They could just be misinformed. So I'm not judging their salvation. I'm not judging even their motivation. I'm not judging their call. But I'm saying that there are people who have taught for the last number of years in the body of Christ that it really just doesn't make any difference how you live or what you do because God's grace is so great and so wonderful and so powerful that it covers everything all the time everywhere and it just doesn't make any difference. That's not true. That's not true. I would encourage you to go back and listen to Brother John's message from last week. You see, you will never stop God from loving you. But you have a direct choice in whether or not God can bless you. Beyond the air you're breathing and the fact of natural life, the sun shining on the just and the unjust, the rain on the just and the unjust, we know those are blessings from God that comes to everybody irrespective of what they are or how they live. But to walk in the goodness and the blessing of God, it doesn't matter what you do. And even the people that would teach this, if you pin them down to real debate, they would have a problem with some of this. Because, for instance, if it doesn't matter what you do, then it shouldn't matter if you commit adultery. Well, I just wonder what your wife thinks about that. Man, it got quiet in this Presbyterian church quickly. Should I talk about a different subject? If it really doesn't matter what you do, then go get the car out of your, your uh, neighbor's yard and just start driving it. You say, well, all that's natural. Well, we're living in a natural world. We're spirit beings living in a natural world. All this stuff is tied together in such a way that you can't get around it. And also, I would say this. Some of this stuff has been going around long enough in circles. And you know, um, all right, I can say that. Uh, sometimes preachers like to sell stuff. They like to sell books. They like to sell, uh, you know, whatever they're doing. They, they like to get in big meetings and get big offerings and all that kind of stuff. And some of these messages sound so good that it opens doors. But if it's not true, it's not true. And what I'm trying to say is this. After a number of years, we can look around and see this ain't working for people. People are still sick. They're still broke. Their marriages are falling apart. They're still struggling in their mental health and those kind of things, and they aren't growing in God. Why? Because they, forgive my uh, hillbilly grammar, they ain't doing nothing. You know, because if it really doesn't matter, then you don't need to read your Bible, do you? And if God is in control of everything, then why would you pray? If it doesn't make any difference what you do, if, if God's going to take care of it all, then why would you pray? Well, I'm trying to you know, twist God's arm. Well, that is not what prayer is. Man, I could uh, really meddle here, but I'm trying, to stay, I'm trying to stay on track. You see, you need to understand that, that yes, it is essential that you obey God. We are not Obeying God, hoping to get saved. Now, I want, to do, I want to point that out. We're not talking about if I do enough acts of obedience or if I do enough penance, 
whatever, that maybe I'll make it to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. You can't work for your salvation. You cannot earn your salvation. But once you're born again and you have this download of the Holy Spirit putting all these wonderful things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, and all the potential of the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit and all of the wisdom of God and His Word that's given to us, all these things that are there, there is a reason it's there. God wants us to do something with it. It's essential. You're not going to walk in the best that God has for you unless... You're walking in obedience. So loving God, simply put, is obeying God. And some of you would be happy to know that this is the last page of my notes and that's all that's on it. <laughs> if we do what love does, regardless of our feelings, we'll have what love produces and what love brings with it. So therefore... Love should be our greatest pursuit. How do I love God? By obeying Him. I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, and this is where we're closing today. 1 Samuel chapter number 20, um, chapter 15 and verse 22. 1 Samuel 15, 22. And we will take a few moments to explain something about obedience. The Bible tells us, for instance, in the book of Hebrews, that though Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. When he chose to become a man, he was no less God, but he was very man. And so it was necessary for him to have to go through things that we went through. That's how he became our substitute. So he actually grew up and he had to learn obedience. Now that tells me something. That says if Jesus had to learn obedience, I've got to too. That also tells me that if Jesus had to learn obedience, then certainly it's something that I'm going to have to learn because evidently it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It's not accidental. It's not coincidental that you're obeying God. Because obedience means that you know what the command is. You know what the leading is, what the guidance is. Again, we're not talking about going back under the Old Testament ceremonial laws, but we're talking about the things that the Word says that a believer is supposed to do and avoiding the things that the Word says a believer should avoid. I mean, you know, it's just simple. I mean, the idea that there's nothing there to deal with is just ludicrous. The Bible says, for instance, don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. The Bible tells us here about love. I mean, so, so this is important to us. It's really a part of the Christian life. And it's a part that a lot of people have missed and that's why they're not walking in the best that God has for them. That's why they're not walking in the place of blessing that God has for their life. They're not living according to the royal law. 
They're living after their flesh. They're living after their own desires. And their, their uh, covetousness, their envy, their greed, whatever it may be, is taking them in a path where God doesn't want them to be. And God cannot bless that which is not godly. So, here's, I said all that in order to get to this point. In our lives, we're going to find from time to time what I would call, you can call it whatever you want, but I call it, call them obedience tests. Now, we know Satan comes to tempt us. We know that he comes to try to steal the word from us. And I'm not talking about that. And God's not using the devil. God doesn't have the devil on a leash. You know, I've heard people preach that. That's error. That's not correct. That God's got the devil on a leash and, you know, he'll let him just go so far and then he pulls him back. Like God is busy walking the devil like you'd walk your dog. No. And the implication is, of course, you know, he may bite you, but it's because God let him. Well, if that's true, then God's guilty of child abuse. That's not the God we serve. He doesn't have the devil on a leash and let him, you know, bite some people and not other people or whatever. That's not what's going on at all. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God, uh, Jesus said he came that, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So the test I'm talking about has nothing to do with that because that's not God. But there are tests not temptations, they're just tests of obedience. That's how you get promoted. Remember Jesus taught us? Remember Jesus again? Spiritual Jesus. He taught us if you're faithful in that which is least, you'll be faithful in that which is much. You have to start wherever you are, whatever God has put into your life, whatever is entrusted to you, you begin to obey him with that. Do what he's called you to do with that. And as you do, and as you pass the tests of obedience, then God is able to promote you. God does not do what we call today social promotion. You know, I remember, I'm old enough, and of course you believe that, I'm old enough to remember that when people did not complete properly the course of study for a particular grade, they were held back. I've got, uh, I've got old uh, report cards from my elementary school days, and there was a place on the back that was always signed at the end of the year, promoted to or withheld. And I remember when I was little, I was a pretty good student, but I was still nervous about it. I always wanted to make sure when I got my report card that it said promoted to. I didn't want to be held back because they would do that. They would do that. And so, you know, I graduated high school with people that were uh, older than me that should have already graduated, but some of them were held back for, you know, various reasons. Well, nowadays, you know, everybody gets promoted, and now nobody can read. <laughs> everybody gets promoted, nobody can make change. Everybody gets promoted, and all the world can do is play with their phone. Oh. Could have went all day without saying that. But anyway, um, that, that, that doesn't happen with God. That doesn't happen with God. There are certain tests, until you pass them, you won't get promoted in that area. 
their money tests, their obedience tests of giving. You know, God has asked me over the years to up my giving, to up what I do. And every time that I feel led to do that, my mind doesn't want to do that. And I don't know why, after all these years, that I would even fuss, because he always blesses me, and I'm always glad that I did. But that side of human nature in us all wants to be lazy. And that's true about a lot of things. You know, we, we, we know what's right, but, but our, our flesh, our mind wants to go another way. So what happens in those situations? You make a choice. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what your mind even says. It's about doing what God says. Because I want to pass the test. I don't want to stay in the first grade for three years. I don't want to get up there just so far and then stop and level off. And I want to say this to you today. You don't have to stop and level off. Thank God if your house is paid for. Thank God if your car is paid for. Thank God if you have money in the bank and you don't owe anybody anything. But then why don't you believe God for a supernatural abundance to be able to do something great in the kingdom? Why don't you believe God to be a blessing to other people? It's not all about me being comfortable. My greatest quest in life is not to figure out how much longer I'm going to live and will I have enough money. My greatest quest in life is to obey God and give what He says to give, knowing that whenever I get to the end of my life, there'll be something left to leave to my children and my children's children. Amen. I'm not worried about that. Which, by the way, means that if I want something, I'm going to get it too. Amen. I mean... If I can afford it, if I, if I don't have to borrow, cheat, or steal to get it, amen. If, if you are not really eating what you want to eat and doing what you want to do because you're saving it for some kid or grandkid, let me tell you, they're going to go eat it and use it. So you might as well just invite them to lunch. <laughs> Enjoy it. I don't know how we got off on all of that, but anyway... We're talking, thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. But it's, it's these tests. Well, in the life of the first king of Israel, Saul, King Saul, God brought one of these type of tests into his life. It was something that needed to be done, but Saul was particularly charged with doing this, and it was to overcome the Amalekites. These were the implacable enemies of Israel. Uh, I mean, if, you, if we had time, we could go through the story and show you how that it actually was... was part of uh, Paul was actually, I mean Saul rather, was actually slain by an Amalekite. It, 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 the thing you will not deal with is going to deal with you, is the lesson. But this was a test that, uh, that Saul miserably failed. And you know the story how that he was told to go and utterly destroy these ungodly people. And why would God tell him to do that? Because God could see these people would never, ever turn to him and, and be righteous. And they were going to always be an enemy of his own chosen people. And so you, you know, if, you, if you've got further questions, you just have to take that up with God. But anyway, uh, when Samuel, the prophet, went and to see Saul after this was over, and Saul had not done what he was told. He brought back what he considered the best of the sheep and oxen, and he actually brought back the king of a of Amalek. Now we might wonder why in the world would, would he have done that? Why, what was the significance? We've got to understand in the ancient world to bring the vanquished foe back to your home 
parading him as defeated, stripping him, chaining him, making him walk behind a mule or a horse or whatever, and letting everybody see this was the big bad guy who's now stripped in front of you and totally defeated and ashamed. This was a big deal in ancient culture. So obviously Saul wanted to do this. And so he failed the obedience test. God's thing was, let's do the job, get it over with, and then we're done with it completely. Well, Saul didn't do it. And Samuel the prophet um, came to him knowing that he had disobeyed God. And in verse 22, he makes this statement. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And then he doesn't stop. It gets more brutal. He says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. What does that mean? Because you disobeyed God. He hath also rejected thee from being king. And of course, Saul's life took a downward turn from here that he never recovered from. And he died a horrible and pitiful death alongside, alongside his son Jonathan. It's one of the saddest stories in the Bible. All because of failing the obedience test. Now I'm not trying to be over dramatic here and I'm not telling you that if, you're, if you were supposed to give $20 in the offering this morning and you didn't give it, then probably you're going to have a terrible wreck on your way home and be in the hospital for three weeks and then rehab for six months and never be able to, you know, uh, do anything. I'm not saying that. You know, I'm not, I, you know, all those pictures the devil paints to people. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, I am saying that when it comes to obedience, you cannot afford not to do it. The results of disobedience far worse than anything you can really imagine. And this thing not only affected Saul, it affected his family. And uh, it, it's, just, it's just a terrible, terrible situation. And so how do I love God? If, if love is a spiritual law that never fails, if love will cause the blessings of God to come into my life, if love will give me access to himself because he is love and I can walk in fellowship with God how in the world can I love him? Just obey him. Just obey him. It's not complicated. It's not super spiritual. You don't have to go ask 14 people to pray about it. You don't really have to pray about it so much as you just need to do it. Just do what he says. That's how you love God. That's how you love God. Now I know that's not of the ooey, gooey, mushy version that some people maybe seem to think that love for God is. And I will say that if you do love God, you'll feel wonderful about it. And there'll be times of fellowship with God when you will feel ooey gooey. It'll just be like heaven's honey poured upon you. Yes. But in the times of the test, you probably won't feel a thing. 
In the times of the test, your flesh will want to do something else. Your mind will want to do something else. In the times of the test, you may have well-meaning people that will try to keep you from it. I don't know what all may happen, but I can tell you this. If you will, you can. And if you will obey God, you will have his best. You'll have his blessing. And I know that's not a popular message today. I know a lot of people, they really do think they're going to have the same thing as a disobedient person, disobedient to God, as the person who is obedient to God. It doesn't work. It's never worked. It's never going to work. So just choose to be obedient. Now next week, we're going to talk about how to deal with your mother-in-law. <laughs> we're going to talk about how to deal with your neighbor. We're going to talk about how to deal with that person at work that just ticks you off. We're going to talk about how to deal with a nagging wife and a, and a lazy husband. You know, maybe, maybe, we should, maybe I should bring my guitar and we should sing I'd Like to Be 16 Again and Know What I Know Now. <laughs> no. But we are going to talk about how to love people. How to love people. And I can all, he's going to. I can tell you that, that there's a lot of similarities in the choices we make to love people. But there are some things that, that are a bit different here that we need to know. So if you're not here next week, I'll know that you, you don't want to learn about loving people. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding you. But that's where we're going. And the law of love works for who? Everybody. It works where? Everywhere. And it works when? All the time. Amen. Brother Matt, come. And Matt's going to come and he's going to give you an opportunity if you've never met the Lord, to, to know him. I know today's message was not a classic evangelistic message, but Jesus did say you must be born again. So well, that's part of obedience as well. And so he's going to lead you in prayer. And 